Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Praise the Lord. Amen. The psalmist said, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. You know, last week we looked at the importance of grouping and that we are members the body of Christ in a local place. And I want to let you know that Membership Matters is coming up next month. And so if you want to hear about what it's like of moving from an attendee to a member here at Dwelling Place, um, that will be taking place. There are, I think, 30 uh, plus already signed up. But you can sign up today at the Next Step table there in the lobby. And uh, we would love to have you be a part of that, to hear about what it is to be a membership a member here at Dwelling Place. Well, today we conclude our series, The DP Strategy, and we have looked at the biblical support for gathering. You're at a gathering. Why do we gather together today? We've looked at the biblical support for growing, that we are called to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. To not just be rooted in Christ, but to be built up and established in the faith. We have looked at the biblical support for grouping and doing life together. In fact, the Bible speaks of all the one anothering. Well, you can't do that alone. You can't do that by yourself. It's impossible to one another each other if we're not around one another. And today we're going to look at the giving and the gifting teams and going. The title today, I want to just teach a message to you titled, Going the DP Go. Going the DP Go. Before I do, I would like to pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you. He is Lord of his church. He's Lord of this local body of believers. He's the foundation and the sufficiency. We thank you, Lord, that you build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail. We open our hearts and our minds to you, Holy Spirit, that you would make much of Jesus. That you would enlighten our hearts and our minds to see clearly, to hear clearly, to know you truly. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. The operating biblical metaphor regarding worship is sacrifice. We bring ourselves to the altar and let God do with us what he will. Eugene Peterson said that. From Genesis 3 all the way to the end, you see the biblical metaphor of sacrifice. You say, where is that now in the New Testament for believers, for you and for myself? Well, Paul said in Romans 12 and verse 1, look at it with me. I beseech you, not your neighbor, not your spouse, not the person you're thinking about as I communicate. Not others who you think needs to change. No, I beseech you, Paul says. Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. What's amazing is after Paul exhorts each individual member of the body of Christ to present themselves a living sacrifice that he goes into talking about spiritual gifts. He goes into talking about how God has wired us, how in Christ he has called us to a function of service. And so today when we talk about the DP Go, I want to up front explain why are we talking about the DP Go and not just going because the truth of the matter is, is the majority or many of you that's here today have been a part of previous communities or churches. And oftentimes we think that we understand going. We think we understand what the Lord's purpose is for us. But too often we filter it through what we have already heard. 
not necessarily what the Lord has set and communicated. So I'm not distinguishing that here at Dwelling Place we're something special compared to other bodies of Christ and other churches, but I'm using the DP Go to help our mind and our heart truly come to a place to examine. Are we truly going the way Jesus Christ has called, prepared, and made possible for us to go? So you see the strategic icon above my head, the cross. That when you see the principle of the cross in the lives of people, of presenting their life a living sacrifice, you begin to see that they're become willing to gather. Willing to gather with other believers to hear the words and the command of Jesus Christ, the head of his church, for a community of believers and how he wants to use them and empower them to serve and touch and affect the hurting people all around them. You see then that the cross begins to increase in our life where we begin to grow. We begin to grow in experiencing the kingdom of God and its righteousness and its peace and its joy in our lives. As the cross increases, we begin to group together to begin to understand that for God to manifest himself the way he wants to to a community, that it takes people being knitted and fitted together to become a dwelling place of God in the Spirit, as Ephesians 2 so clearly communicates. But then also, the cross wants to continue to impact our life where we begin to become willing to give and to use our gifts for the glory of God, to begin to go. See, when it comes to giving and gifting teams and going, we must first give ourselves, as Pastor Craig mentioned last week, to the Lord. We first must be a living sacrifice to the Lord. We first must give ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the working of His Spirit. Before we give ourselves to what God is doing in a community, we have to first give ourselves to the Lord of that community, which is Jesus Christ. However, we cannot, after we give ourselves to the Lord, not give ourselves to each other in community. 2 Corinthians 8, 5 says, First they gave themselves to the Lord. First they gave themselves to the Lord, and then by God's will, they gave themselves to us as well. Notice the Corinthian church. They gave themselves to the Lord, but then they gave of themselves to each other as well. See, listen, to hold fast to the Lord is to hold fast to a local body of his members of where he has called you, where he has placed you, where he has led you. Paul makes it clear there's not a holding fast to the head of the body if we're not also holding fast to a local expression of his body in a local church. To give ourselves to the work of the Lord through a local body and the expression of Christ. Remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12? How can the foot say, since I am not a hand, I am not of the body? We're of the body if we're followers of Jesus Christ. Paul says when one member suffer, we all suffer. People say, well then, I don't want to be a hindrance to what God's doing in a local community of believers. So I'm not going to give of myself to other brothers and sisters and to the bigger scope of what God is wanting to do in an area for a city, for the hurting, for those that are lost and don't know him. Well, the truth of the matter is the still overall body of Christ suffers when members aren't willing to be joined together. I like what Eugene Peterson says, Christ in us to be taken, blessed, broken, and distributed in lives of witness and service, justice, and healing. Notice it's Christ in us. Christ in a community that is being fitted 
and joined together that is blessed, empowered by God's Spirit, but broken and distributed in lives of witness and service, justice and healing to those around us. Do you know what the opposite is? The opposite of a community being built together and broken and blessed by God and serving and giving of themselves and using their gifts for the expression of Christ, to see justice, to see healing, to see the work of the Lord prevail in that area. The opposite of that is the consumer church. Listen what Eugene Peterson continues saying regarding a consumer church. This is not the way in which we become less and Jesus becomes more. This is not the way in which our sacrificed lives become available to others in justice and service. The cultivation of consumer spirituality is the antithesis of a sacrificial deny-yourself congregation. A consumer church is an antichrist church because Christ came. He first did what? He gave himself to the will of the Father. Then he gave himself to others in community. For 30 years, he gave of himself in community. There as he lived amongst his family and friends and he lived out godliness and in the workplace, he demonstrated the character of God. See, giving and gifting teams are a practical outworking of us having given ourselves to the Lord and to the local members of his body in a local church. What does it look like practically when we've given ourselves to the Lord, when we said, here I am, a living sacrifice? When we've given ourselves in relationship, committed relationship to other brothers and sisters in Christ in a local church, the practical outworking of that is giving and gifting teams. What's the difference between the two? Giving teams are practical expressions of manifesting Christ by serving others. It's just practical expressions manifesting Jesus Christ through service like the welcome team, like the media team, like the aesthetics team, like the next step team, like the usher team. It's just through practical expressions of giving of ourselves in service for the overall benefit of others. What is different then between gifting teams and giving teams? Well, gifting teams are the supernatural expressions of the manifestation of Christ and serving others through the use of spiritual gifts or a gift we have been given in Christ. Let me say it again. Gifting teams are the supernatural expressions of the manifestation of Christ and serving others through the use of the spiritual gift or gifts we have been given in Christ. The Bible is clear in Ephesians 1 that everybody who's born again, everybody who is a part of the body of Christ has been given at least one spiritual gift. And the Bible says that spiritual gifts are not given for you, they're given for the body. This is why when we're not connected to a local body, when we're not connected to other uh, members of the body of Christ, the overall body suffers. You know why? Because you've been given a gift, but you can't use that gift to benefit others if there's not a commitment and if there's not the foundation of relationships for people to receive the supernatural gifting of Christ in you and through you. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward. For their labor. Jesus himself didn't send out lone rangers. He sent them out minimum two by two. So the first thing we got to understand when we talk about the DP go is that we go in giving and gifting teams. As we move in mission, if we move by the impulse of God's spirit in us and through us, we go in teams, in giving and gifting teams. I like what Carl George said. We are to do more than preach the gospel alone. Our task is to offer the body of Christ to our generation. 
It's not just a sermon we preach. It's a community we open. It's not just a sermon we preach. It's a community we open. He says, if you offer the words to the gospel of Christ without the body of Christ, it will have no life-changing power for most people. The words of the gospel are designed to be accompanied by loving people. That's what serving can do as your group reaches beyond your borders. See, I envision teams that are manifesting Christ in a way to people in this community. I envision teams that serve women considering abortion. I envision teams that serve single mothers. I envision teams that teach life skills to those that are in need, that come from broken homes and don't know how to have wisdom in their finances. I envision teams that serve the poor. I envision teams that serve schools. I envision teams that serve teachers. Teams that serve in the prisons. Teams, teams, teams. Because the DP go is that we go in giving and gifting teams just as Jesus sent them minimum by two. Carl George says, gates don't move to attack you. They sit there waiting to be overcome. The current gates of the enemy that's trying to keep those that can come into the freedom of Jesus Christ because of his finished work, but he has deceived them, he has blinded them, he has removed the true knowledge of God to them. Those gates that are keeping people in oppression and sitting in darkness, those gates don't attack you. They're waiting for some teams to allow the the Christ in them and the gifts in them to go and to attack them and to enforce the victory of Jesus Christ. Jesus said that the strong man has got to be bound first. Well, he bound the strong man through his death and resurrection. His name is the name above all names. The name of Jesus will cause every gate, every devil, everything that opposes the will of God to bow its knee. But there's got to be some teams that go and cause the lordship and the victory of Jesus to be enforced in an area. Teams, teams, and teams. But I've been around expressions of believers or local churches my whole life. And one of the major barriers of seeing people understanding what we're calling the DP Go and going and giving and gifting teams, one of the major ones I want to hit is what's called the laity lie. The laity lie. See, if we're not clear on God's vision for us as the people of God, then we'll accept something less than God has for us. If we're not clear on the vision that God has for his people, then we can accept a wrong vision of what God has for us. The word laity comes from the Latin word laos meaning people, the people of God. Unfortunately, the use of that word for centuries has been used in a negative connotation in regards to the work of ministry. It has been used to create a great divide regarding those who do the work of ministry and those who just receive it. It's a belief that has spread, particularly in Western Christianity, that there are the laity, the people of God, who just receive ministry from the ministers or whatever different places call them, priests or pastors or leaders, and they do all the work of ministry. The laity lie is that there's the people of God, and then there's a certain distinction, class, ministers or preachers or pastors who do all the work. The people of God just do all the receiving, and then the ministers, the pastors, the leaders do all the work. The problem is, is that's a lie. And that lie is keeping the body of Christ from being mobilized. And when you don't have the body of Christ being mobilized, then it doesn't matter how great your heart is, how great the heart of God is, the heart can't fulfill its desires if it has no hand to reach through. If it has no feet to walk through. 
And such a lie will keep you individually useless in the knowledge of the Lord. You can know Jesus. You can carry a Bible. But it can keep you useless in the knowledge of the Lord, just like similar to what Peter mentioned in in his second letter. Not only can it keep you useless as a follower of Jesus Christ, it will keep you rewardless at the judgment seat of Christ. Because the lie says all you need to do is show up to a gathering, hear a message, receive ministry, go back to living life the rest of the week. And this lie keeps the body of Christ suffering. Look at 2 Peter 2.9. Peter attacks this lie well established in Scripture. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. No longer just Israel, no longer just the nation of Israel. Now the New Testament says that that special place for people to be set apart and used as a light to the nations is the body of Christ where there's neither Jew nor Gentile, but we're all one in Christ Jesus. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. The first thing we got to understand that Peter is saying here is that God... Children, all of God's children are a part of the royal priesthood. All of God's children are his own special people. All of God's children are to proclaim his praises. All are now the people of God. And all of the people of God are priests of God. What does it mean to be a priest? Well, priests in the Old Covenant, under the law of Moses, presented the gifts, the free will offerings and sacrifices of the people and for the people. They stood before the Lord for the people. And only a very few select persons within the nation of Israel could even make the priesthood. However, now in the New Testament, now that Jesus has came and shed his blood, was crucified, buried, died, and rose victorious. Now all born-again believers are priests. We are all now able to offer sacrifices of time, sacrifices of our finances, sacrifice our listening skills to hear the hurts, the story of people and what they've been through what they've experienced on the earth. We all now can offer sacrifices of our spiritual gifts in serving people for the glory of the Lord. We now all can stand before the Lord and for the unbelievers to manifest Christ to them. Do you understand that I am I am the evidence of God's existence? Do you understand That you are called to be the evidence of God's existence? That without us being where hurting people are, of course it's easy for them to believe a lie. Because look what they've experienced living in environments ruled by the God of this age, Satan, where fear and the fruit of wicked desires in the flesh has all that they have eaten in life. No, we are to be the evidence of God's existence. So the second thing regarding the DP go is that the DP go is that we all go. He's not just called pastors, leaders, some people of the people of God to go and to proclaim his praises. He said that we are all now the people of God to proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
Eugene Peterson continues, where do all these Christians, who by definition are new creatures in Christ, and therefore surely eager to taste and see for themselves a universal characteristic in newborns that the Lord is good, where do they pick up such depreciating self-understanding? They certainly don't get it from the Bible or from the gospel, and certainly not from Jesus. They get it from the culture, both secular and ecclesial. Where does this laity lie come from? Well, it doesn't come from Scripture. It comes from the context of the world around us that says there are people at the top, and then there's the rest of us. It comes from a lie because we're all now a holy people. We're all now the holy priesthood. We're all to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul and seek to keep us from being fruitful in good works. Paul continues after the Romans 12 when he says, present yourself a living sacrifice. He says, having your mind renewed so that you're not conformed to the pattern of this world. In Ephesians 4.11, Paul says, And he, Jesus himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of man and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effect of working by which every part does its share." causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Notice what Paul says. He says you need to understand that every part, every believer, every member of the body of Christ has a share of the work of ministry. All the children of God, all who are now priests of God, have a share in the work of ministry, in the work that God has called a local church, a local community to, in the work of what God's heart and God's spirit wants to do in a city and in a region. All of the members of the body has a part in the work of what God has I want to talk about this work of ministry. I want to talk about my work and your work. Are we overworked? Do we know our outside work? In Proverbs 24 and 27 is an amazing pivotal verse in understanding and overcoming the laity lie. It says, prepare your outside work. Make it fit for yourself in the field. And afterward, build your house. Do you know, in fact, Solomon, who wrote this proverb, followed his own advice? The Bible's clear that he built the temple of God first. Then only after it was finished did he build his own house. Notice what Proverbs says. Prepare and make your outside work fit for yourself. What is he saying? He's saying your outside work must fit how God has wired you if you being a priest for God is going to bring about change and the impact on people that it can at work. What it means is what you do at work, your outside work, for you to be the priest that God has made you, you're going to have to have work that is according to what's fitting for you. You're going to have to have work that is fitting to how God has wired you, how he's created you, how he's gifted you, the talents and the personality that he has for you. Why is this important? Because your outside work is in the field. Notice he said, make it fit for yourself 
in the field. See, you got to understand your outside work. Your outside work environment is the harvest field. It's where the hurting are. It's where the lonely are. It's where the confused are. It's where the unbelievers are. It's where those that the enemy are oppressing and stealing and killing and seeking to destroy are. Your outside work is the harvest field. And it's important that we understand that the people there are not just unbelievers. They're people that are hurt. They're people that are weary. They're people that are desperate. They're people that are lonely and are addicted. They're people. But this is why you being prepared for the work and that the work fits you is so important because it's the harvest field. And this is God's design on how to reach others. God's design to reach others is through his members and one of their primary contexts that they're at for the majority of their life, their adult life anyway, their workplace, that they would be prepared and made fit that the outside work is fitting for what God has for them so that it can display His glory through them. The next thing we need to understand is the DP go is that your outside work is the harvest field. It is the harvest field. The DP go is that your outside work must be fit for how God has created you. The DP go is that you are to be prepared as you go. Imagine this. Imagine a sports boxer. Imagine a sports boxer in a bull riding arena. Someone who has been prepared to be a boxer will be unable to model what his sport looks like in a bull riding arena. Think about a football player in full pads will be unable to model what, a, what football looks like in a water polo tournament. And likewise, a believer in work that does not fit him or her will be unable to model what Christ looks like in that environment well. Do you understand that all knowledge is God's knowledge? That there's no place of scientists that what's taking place there, if it's true, does not find itself in Jesus Christ. Every field that is not completely rooted in control, established by deception and darkness, is a place where God's truth is taking place. Teachers. Where do you get teachers from? Well, we serve the great rabbi, the great teacher, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ wants to make himself manifested or visible in every field. In every field. But to do that, he needs members of his body who understand what fits them, how God has designed them, and they're prepared so that in their outside work, they're prepared to see it as the harvest field. Listen, God's not looking for more people just to have a job. He's looking for more of his people to find a field that's fitting for what he has for them and who reveals in that field and context what Jesus looks like. See, God wants to redeem all subcultures. All subcultures. All work environments that can be redeemed, God wants to redeem them. He wants to bring that field back to a place where it can be used to honor Him, to reveal His truth in His heart. It's very difficult to manifest the peace and joy of our salvation when you are in a field that you're not fit for. That God has not wired you for. 
that God's not given you talents, passions, and desires regarding. Why? Because when you're in a field that is not fitting for you, you're going to feel greater frustration, greater weight, and you're going to end up complaining like all the other complainers. You're going to end up gossiping about the leaders just like everybody else who gossips about the leaders. It is very difficult when you're in a place that's not fitting to walk worthy of your high calling to manifest Christ in your outside work, which is the harvest field. We get conformed like the people of this world where we're living just for the weekend. But Paul says when we present ourselves a living sacrifice, that our mind is to be renewed, that we're not conformed to the ways of thinking and the patterns of this world. We're not just living for the weekend. Why? Because we're finding ourselves in a field that fits how God has created and wired us, and we see the field is the harvest field. The work environment is the place to manifest Christ, is the place for the fruit of Christ to be formed and displayed in your life. I like what Luther said, Martin Luther. He said, the Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes. Because God is interested in good craftsmanship. You know what this means? That the way... Christ wants to be manifested, has no shortcuts. A shortcut is to find yourself in a place that's not fitting for you and just put a cross on it. That's a shortcut. But to be prepared to become clear on how God has wired you, how God has gifted you, how God has given you passions and talents, and to have your outside work fit with that so that you display the competency, the character, the wisdom, and the beauty of Christ in that field? That's how Jesus wants to manifest himself. Not through shortcuts. Not, not through little notes. Little crosses. Through a life that displays the gifts and the talents and the passions that God's given you because when people see the display of that splendor, then you're to do like 1 Peter 3 said, you're to be prepared to give an answer for what they see in you. And the answer is, as I found my life, I found my springs, I found these talents, these passions and gifts in God and God alone. And you point them to the source of it. You point them to the source of it as revealed in Jesus Christ. See, you want to know the difference between a job and a career? It's the difference between daily getting by or fitted for a future. A job is just daily getting by. It's just to survive. A career is that I'm fitted for a future. The question then arises, how do we find what we're fitted for? You spend time with the one who's made you. And everything in this world seeks to keep you from the one thing that Jesus said is necessary. To sit at his feet. Until his word for you, his fitting for you, his calling, gifts, talents, passions for you become clear. Listen, be, in, bef, until it's clear, all you will be is like a babe that can be tossed to and fro serving someone else's vision for you. Serving someone else's desire for you. And we have the body of Christ who God has wired and fitted for certain outside work because the outside work is the harvest field to reveal His goodness of Jesus Christ. We have so many in the body of Christ not submitted to the vision and the calling of their Father for them, but they're submitted to the vision and calling of a culture to use you. And we're sacrificing the manifestation of Christ 
for the manifestation of someone else's human, selfish ambition and desire. And God is calling us to find that in Christ there is courage to sit at His feet until the things that are not clear become clear. It's also very difficult to manifest the peace and joy of your salvation when you're in the right field but are not yet prepared. What do I mean? You're not discipled and prepared of how to display trust in the Lord in moments of stress. You're not yet equipped and discipled and prepared to love people when they're unkind. That a soft answer turns away wrath to an unruly customer or an upset person. And remember, equippers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, Ephesians 4, are given by Christ to equip you for the work of ministry. They're given to serve equipping and being used of the Lord to mature you so that you're prepared in your outside work that's fitting for you to know how to, in those moments, manifest Christ. Reveal that there is another spirit you can live under called the Holy Spirit instead of an unclean spirit. That there is another kingdom that's available to experience that might not be visible but is just as real as that which is invisible, the kingdom of God. Look at it again, Proverbs 24, 27. Prepare your outside work, make it fit for yourself in the field, and afterward build your house. Notice what it says, afterward build your house. The next thing you got to understand about the DP go is that you first find his field that fits you, then you build your house. Now let me walk you through this. Most versions of the American dream says get it first. Get the house you want first. Get the cars you want first. Get the children you want first. Get the furniture you want first. Get the clothes you want first. And a reason why so many scream to get those things first is if you bite on such of an idea, if you bite on such a dream, you'll spend probably decades serving someone else's dream because you become a slave to debt. And now it's very difficult to begin to follow the passions and the desires in the way that God's wired you. Because we bit something that is now begins to control us. Now we can't make, we feel like, a job change. Because what about all the bills? And it's such a thing that drains people of, of courage. It drains the body of Christ, of courage. Courage to make a change to the outside work that actually fits them. It makes the willing to risk more difficult. To risk starting over in a new field, in a new career, one that's more fitting for you. It makes that very, very difficult. You know what it also does? It creates people that they are constantly longing for the future. They're not presently minded. They're longing for retirement. It drains people of passion. Drains people of energy. And then we wonder why. Why the body of Christ is not being the body of Christ to the community around them. It all starts back to here. Because if I'm drained of energy, if I'm drained of passion, if I'm drained of courage and risk, there's nothing left for me to give those that are hurting around. And I can only give what I have. So the question we got to ask ourselves under this is, am I overworked or outside work? See, Proverbs 23, 4 says, Do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle towards heaven. Am I overworked because now I have bid into something that I'm becoming a slave to have to keep up to pay bills? My whole focus 
is overworking to pay bills and I'm not seeing that God has a call and a ministry and a vision and a way that I'm to proclaim light in the midst of my field. When people are overworked, the majority of the time, the love of money has begun to seed itself in the hearts. When people are overworked, it's the fear of man that has begun to grip people, that it has to be this way. It has to be this way. Generations ago in this country, people understood there's open fields of opportunity. You don't have to be a slave to someone else's dream. You can become a slave to righteousness, God's dream for you. He can make you an entrepreneur. He can give you wisdom of how to do things in your field better and give you grace to start businesses that glorify Him. The only option for Americans today is not to have to work for other Americans. There's an option in God. Jesus, who went out of the camp, who went out of what was normal. He can lead some of us to pioneer new things. You want to talk about seeing a nation change? You want to talk about justice and healing truly coming? Well, it's got to start at this real level. It's got to start at the real level of us being just towards God and what He's given us. Because we have no voice, no ability to impact to the level we can when we're in fields that's not fitting to us. And we're walking around being unjust stewards of what God's given us to steward. The hope of America and the hope of the nations isn't just common people, unbelievers. It's the church of Jesus Christ. Who can manifest love when there's hatred? Who can manifest perseverance when there's obstacles? Who can manifest vision when there's letdown after letdown? Who can manifest hope when there seems to be no turnaround? See, Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. When people get overworked, they begin to have a slave mentality. They begin to realize and feel a slave to something that's controlling their life. They no longer believe in what God can do for them, what God has called them. So many people believe it's too late. I could spend hour after hour telling you stories of people that weren't even followers of Jesus Christ at later in life that realize it's not too late. It's not too late to... to begin to pursue the passions and the talents and the interests that God's given. Colonel Sanders from my great state of Kentucky had failure and heartache after heartache. He didn't found KFC and his chicken until later in life. The stories go on and on. Did you know fruit trees normally produce fruit by years three or five? I want us to take a moment and as a mirror say, if we've been in a job, if we've been in a career for three to five years, is there any fruit? If there's no clear fruit in that time frame, then listen to me. Either you're in a work that does not fit you or you're distracted that your work environment is the harvest field. Do you hear me? If you've been in a job for three to five years and there's no tangible fruit, of you being able to proclaim the praises and people seeing there's a different spirit about you. Of the Lordship of Jesus Christ enforcing upon even how you work and what you do. Then it means you're either in a field that's not fitting, listen, or you're distracted. You think, I need to get off work to then impact people. No, no, no. Your outside work is the harvest field. It is the harvest field. Are you unprepared or prepared? Listen, I've not seen people become equipped and prepared to live out Christ in life that hadn't first learned to gather, that hadn't first learned to grow, that hadn't first learned to group. I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it in my journey. 
Because these are ways that God prepares you and equips you and strengthens Christ in you so that you are prepared in your outside work, which is the harvest field, to be a light that shines, to be the salt of the earth, to be a a city on a hill. Did you know the Word of God is said to be given so that you may be equipped for where you fit? It's to equip you. Scripture, listen, is the living sword. It's an x-ray that will remove the wrong ideas, the personal ideas regarding your work off of your mind and off of your heart. You know why? Because there's something about culture around us that very early on, it seeds in us a desire for fame, a desire for status. I had to tell my four-year-old just a couple months ago. She said, I want to be a singer, Daddy. I said, baby, listen, I'm confident that that's not what God's wired you for. Now, she might write songs, but it's going to take a miracle. He's going to have to do a new thing. (laughs) Is she going to sing the songs? Listen, but we have this grandioso ideas of what it looks like to truly be significant or impact. Listen, it's the Word of God that cuts all of those things and desires out of our heart to see clearly the work He has prepared for us and for our feet to be shed with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Questions beforehand or afterhand. Am I first focusing on getting everything I want that this country provides for me? Or am I first focused on finding God's field that I am to manifest Christ in? And then after that, after I found what's fitting for me, began to maybe believe God for a house that I would desire to use to bring glory to Him. Or a car that I would desire to use to bring glory to Him. In Luke 14, 16, Jesus said there was a certain man that gave a great supper and invited many. Sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I, everybody say I. Have bought a piece of ground, and I, say I again, must go and see it. I, say it again, ask you to have me excused. Another said, I, say it again, have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to test them. I, ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master, then the master of the house. Being angry, he said to a servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there's room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. Notice the excuses were all rooted in what? I. What it was saying is, Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll be used to build your house. I'll be used to let your heart for the community around me, I'll be used for that after I build my dream, my hope, my plans, my ambitions. The problem is, is when I becomes the center, we never get around to Him and what He has for us because we begin to be conformed and pattern after the ways of the world instead of pattern after Jesus Christ. Do you understand this is why Jesus never got to build His own home? Because after 30 years of being prepared and living out godly and living with his family, that for three years of ministry, he so lived out the priority of the Father. He so revealed the perfect work of God. He so revealed his preparation of 30 years to extend the kingdom, listen, that the people hated him and crucified him. See, his perfect work was too revealing of our imperfect work. His perfect priority was too much for them to handle as it exposed their imperfect priority. His preparation to extend the kingdom exposed their unwillingness to repent of their unprepared state that hindered it. I've seen this. When Michelle and I moved up here over five years ago, we moved up here because of the call of God. We didn't move up here because we wanted a certain house or desire. We just needed a house that we could open up and begin to have people and group people and 
pray with people and teach people. We didn't care. Just a house where others would feel comfortable. Make yourself fitting for what God's calling to. And now we're seeing for the first time in, 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 in years, though we've had many houses because of move, we're in a home that I can truly say, glory to God, beyond I could ever imagine or ask. But the priority wasn't that. The priority was, is first, what's God calling me to? What's fitting for us? Get your outside work clear. But then notice where Jesus concluded. He said, go and compel them to come in. The second thing we got to understand in our outside work, which is the harvest field, is am I compelling or am I yelling? Listen to what Eugene Peterson makes clear about Jesus' method. To compel. When Jesus appeared on the scene and said, follow me, he did it in the company of well-established and highly successful leaders who represented rival ways of getting on in the world and getting things done. Ways that could easily have obliterated the way of Jesus at three pivotal points in his life. Herod at Jesus' birth, Caiaphas at his death, and Josephus in the years following his re resurrection. Jesus ignored them. The way of Herod, the master of political ways and means, was countered by the Pharisees. The way of Caiaphas, the master of religious ways and means, was countered by the Essenes. The way of Josephus, the master of celebrity ways and means, was countered by the Zealots. Jesus ignored all of them. And Jesus stood and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What was the way? He was compelling people by love. And what does love look like? Love looks like the cross. It looks like the cross. He rejected the way of politics to bring the kingdom. He rejected the idea that you can marry politics and the kingdom as sought by the Pharisees. He rejected the way of religious control to bring about the kingdom. He rejected the way of sectarianism and escapism, the Essenes who went out in the desert by themselves away from the world. He rejected the way of popularity and celebrity that you have to be well known to bring the kingdom of God. He rejected the way of by force the, the zealots. He rejected it all and he stands in the middle of it and he compels people to come, not by those ways of the world, not by the alternate ways, but by the way of love, which is the way of cross. And what does this mean for you and I? 1 John 3, 16. By this, we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's good and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? We're to lay down our life. We're to embrace that the compelling is the compelling of love, but it's embracing the cross of not living for I, but first find the field that's fitting on how God's wired for you because he's graced you. He's given you talents and passions. And listen to me, young people. You might not find it on your first job, but the key is, is you don't allow the things of the world to conform you to its standards. You stay at the feet of Jesus until your high calling, until the hope of his calling in you becomes clear. And older adults, if you say, there's no passion in my life in what I'm doing. I don't manifest Christ in what I'm doing. It's not too late. It's not too late. We serve a God of redemption and resurrection. We're to compel them by love, by laying down our self-interest for mutual interest. Lay down our lives to extend provisions to one another. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.14, For the love of Christ compels us. Because we judged us that if one died, all died. So listen, the deep ego is the compelling of love, and it's done by love. Paul said, don't look out for your own interest, but also for the interest of others. So the deep ego is being on the lookout. When you're at work, when you're in the harvest field, be on the lookout, not just for your own interest, but for the interest of others. How can you help them, serve them, manifest Christ to them? Be on the lookout for ways to reveal the true God because you are the evidence of God in your field. Pay for a meal of the car behind you. Leave gift cards on co-workers' desks. Look out for the interest of others. Do unto them as you would want someone to do unto you. Look out for people to invite who need growth phases, who need relationships and then driven or delighting I want to read a story in conclusion it's a research that actually took place 
Some years ago, two Princeton University psychologists, John Darley and Daniel Batson, decided to conduct a study inspired by the biblical story of the Good Samaritan. Most of you are probably aware of the Good Samaritan. A priest and a Levite who were worthy, pious men came upon a man who was harmed, but they did not stop. They passed by on the other side. The only man to help was a Samaritan, the member of a despised minority, who went up to him, bound up his wounds, and took him in. Darling and Batson decided to replicate that story at Princeton Theological Seminary. They met with a group of seminarians individually and asked each to prepare a short, extemporaneous talk on a given biblical theme, then to walk over to a nearby building to present it. Along the way to the presentation, each student ran into a man slumped in an alley, head down, eyes closed, coughing and groaning. The question was, who would stop and help? Darling and Batson introduced three variables into the experiment to make its results more meaningful. First, before the experiment even started, they gave the students a questionnaire about why they had chosen to study theology. Today would be like, why are you here today? Did they see religion as a means for personal and spiritual fulfillment? Or were they looking for practical tools to use to find meaning in everyday life? Then they varied the subject of the theme the students were asked to talk about. Some were asked to talk about and speak on the, revel the relevance of the professional clergy to the religious vocation. Others were given the parable of the Good Samaritan. Finally, the instructions given by the experimenters to each student varied as well. In some of the cases, as the students went on their way, the experimenter would look at his watch and say, Oh, you're late. They were expecting you a few minutes ago. We better get moving. In other cases, he would say, It will be a few minutes before they're ready for you, but you might as well head over now. They did polls, just like I could tell people, Raise your hand what you think here today on who would help. And almost all said that the students who entered ministry to help people and those that were reminded of the importance of compassion by having just read the parable of the Good Samaritan would be most likely to stop. But in fact, neither of those factors made any difference. The only thing that really mattered was whether the student was in a rush of the group that wasn't a rush, only 10% stopped to help. Of the group who knew they had a few minutes to spare, 63% stopped. What this study is suggesting, in other words, is the convictions of your heart and the actual contents of your thoughts are less important in the moment in guiding your actions than the immediate context of your behavior. The words, oh, you're late had the effect of making someone who was ordinarily compassionate into someone who was indifferent to suffering. Of turning someone in that particular moment into a different person. Listen to me. The DP goes springs from the DP slow. You know why we gather? You know why we go to growth phases? You know why we group? Because that is the DP slow. Those are moments to slow down from what the world's trying to get you to do to speed up. And if you speed up, listen, you will allow the context around you, the world going so fast, to cause you to not demonstrate who you are. It's righteous and holy, made in the image of Jesus Christ. Because listen, this is the difference between being driven and delighting. Some of us are so driven. And driven means I'm focused on future moments. And when I get so driven to finish a project, to finish this, to do that, then I overlook the very needs that I can present the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ right before me. And all of us are stepping over kingdom moments because we're moving so fast, driven for something in the future. But listen, delighting in Him means being aware of the present. That you know where He's at. He's with you and He's in you right now. There's nothing greater in your future than what you have now because your future without Him is meaningless and Christ lives in you in this moment. It's fellowshipping with Him in the now. That's what makes the difference. 
makes a difference. I'll never forget, my wife and I went to Puerto Rico with my in-laws. And we went then one day from Puerto Rico to Culebra. It's an island, one of the tall, beautiful islands, makes all those magazines. When we got to Culebra, we decided we were going to eat before we went to the actual beach. This doesn't always happen to me, but it's happened before. When we sat down to eat and the waitress came instantly, a word of prophecy came up out of my spirit into my mind. I heard, I heard God clearly say, tell this girl this. I began to start asking her about her story. Believe it or not, she's from Georgia, right down the road from here. Here I am in Culebra, an island, and there's someone from Georgia, and I was living in Georgia in the time, and God's got a word of prophecy. So we went to pay. To pay. Michelle and my in-laws were already up, getting in the vehicle. I was there with her, and I began to talk with her about church and things like that. And I began to hear them say in the back, come on, let's go. Let's go. And in the context of allowing others and their expectations to hurry me up, I shared with her, but I didn't share what God told me to say. And I failed in that moment, not because I believe that I'm not a sensitive person and don't want to be obedient. I failed because I allowed the pressure of the context around me to speed me up. But the kingdom is the mountain slowing down. true kingdom moment just oh my goodness this this is a divine moment connection when I'm allowing the pattern of this world to speed me up these G's are to help serve your going by getting you to slow down because Paul said if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and the service of your faith I'm glad and I rejoice in it the DP go has a rejoicing it has a glad glow it has a rejoicing that I get to give of myself. I get to be a living sacrifice to become the evidence of people around me that God cares for them, that He loves them, that He made a way through Jesus Christ. And I'm compelled by His love in me to work through me to know the goodness of God. Again, thanks so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. God bless you.